Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word? Father God, thank you again for this new day. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your mercy, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful, Father God, that we can come together today and knowing, Father, that this battle has been won. Yes. Thank you, And uh, darkness cannot extinguish the light. Great issue that is in us, the heat that is in this world. God, and I pray that today will be a time of encouragement, Father God, as we always receive every Sunday, Father God. I thank you, Father, and I pray, Lord Jesus, we all our heart, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we will not just be just here of the world, God, but that we will be doers, God, and uh, we are here to worship you, to hear from you, God, and I pray that we will be attentive to the leader of the Holy Spirit, and that we will receive, that we will be a good soil, that we will receive that breath of life, that manna that gives us life and life in abundance, Lord. That we recognize, Lord Jesus, that is there anybody that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give us life, Lord Jesus. And that's what we are here to receive that life that you already uh, gave us through the cross, Father, and through that blood, Father, and through Lord Jesus, and through that breath of life. God, so we thank you, we worship you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Oh, 
Father, we thank you, Lord. Father, that you so loved the world that you gave us your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you for your kindness, for your goodness. For your mercies that are new every morning. And I pray, Father, that as we open up your word, Father, that we would fix our eyes upon you, Lord, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That God, that we would be quick to repent as you, Lord, lead us. conviction. Oh God, we I pray long for you, Father, a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I pray, God, that we would be discerning in this hour that we would not grow weary in doing good but that, God, that we would seek you above all and for that, Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The three R's for 2021. Repentance, resolve, and release. Repentance. The action of repenting sincere regret or remorse. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And as I've been encouraging us throughout this year, we're, we're in June now, we're six months into this year. How are you doing growing? Are you seeing fruit coming from your life, or are you still stuck where you were back at the beginning of this year, back where you were in 2018, or even the year 2000. Where are you? Have you grown? Have you matured? Are you having a deeper walk with Christ? Are your roots growing down deep? Are you committed to Christ? Or are you still bound by the culture? Bound by your desires, your insecurities, your past, your hurts, your wounds. Oh, how I pray that you find yourself in Christ, especially if you're calling yourself a Christian, that you truly understand the hope that you have in Christ, the joy that is found in Christ, the freedom that is found in Christ. It's God's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. The world lacks it. In fact, worldly sorrow lacks true repentance, the Bible says, and it results in spiritual death. But the kind of sorrow God wants, we heard here from 2 Corinthians, leads us 
away from sin and it results in salvation. True repentance. It's a turning away from. It's going in the opposite direction. It's recognizing that you are a sinner. That you are in complete rebellion towards God and His kingdom. It humbles you to see Him for who He is and then to truly see you for who you are. Again, I keep reminding us, it is not God that is stiff-arming us. It's us stiff-arming God. It's us wanting to be God. It's us dismissing Him from the areas of our lives that we want to remain in control of. And oh God, have mercy. God, have mercy. Because we are called, as we've read in Scripture, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. We're called... To, to, and, and, and we are reminded in Scripture that Christ came. He's defeated sin and death. He's resurrected. He's still not on the cross. He's still not in the tomb. He's still not in the manger. No, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is resurrected. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And He is returning to collect those who belong to Him. Do you belong to Christ? Repentance is just not one little prayer you prayed. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's the way you live now. Because you're not living to seek to satisfy yourself. Because remember, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. We are to abide in Christ. We are to remain in Christ because apart from Him, we can't do anything. We've read before where Paul asked the church, what are you doing? Why are you trying to live out in the flesh what you received in the Spirit? It can't be done. Why would you try to live out a God-fearing life in your own strength. <laughs> that nature of yours is in complete rebellion towards God. It may try to hold a form of religion, but it will always deny His power to transform. You'll just make excuses for your bad attitudes. You'll just make excuses to remain enslaved to your insecurities, your past, your wounds. You'll make excuses why you're holding on and not forgiving. You'll make excuses for the desires that flare up that you give yourself over to. And that's not how a Christian should be living. Christians are liberated. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. And you have a hope. You know Christ is for you. He's not against you. And that He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So a genuine repentance, a sorrow, a deep remorse, oh God, I'm sorry. If that is not where you've been, you haven't repented. You just have a worldly sorrow and it lacks true repentance and it's going to lead you to an eternal hell. This is the truth of God's Word established 
in Christ. And from repentance, we move on to, to resolve. Because once your eyes have been opened, once you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, once you have this gained this understanding of who Christ is and who you are apart from Him, and you've repented, you realize you've received Him because again, you have a belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. And that alone, that belief, that confession, that understanding doesn't come by your own knowledge. <laughs> no, it comes by God's being so gracious and kind to open up your eyes, to allow you to know truth. He's drawn you to Himself. And when you see Him for who He is, when that becomes the foundation of who you are, and you've repented, you've turned away, you have now been born again if you believe and you've confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. You've now received the Spirit of God. So now this newness of my life is no longer based on trying to work it out in your flesh, but it's the full dependence on the Holy Spirit. You make up your mind so to resolve, to decide firmly on a course of action. Make up one's mind. Romans 6, 11, verse 12. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires to resolve, to make up your mind each and every single day. I keep encouraging you. You're waking up behind enemy lines. It's a war. There's a battle going on in a realm in which we cannot see. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and rulers in the air of the darkness. And we better make up our mind. We better know truth. We better consider ourselves dead to the power of sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean for you? How, do you? how are you living that out? What is that truth? How have you resolved? How have you made up your mind? This is the way. Because Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God except through Him. And God, I belong to you. Listen, I don't know if your conscious is is your consciousness is dull in this hour? Like you're not you're not understanding, you're not seeing. Everything's maybe it's murky and cloudy. But oh how I pray your eyes open up and you see what's going on. Have you not looked over this past week? <laughs> Have you not seen what is going on? I mean, just look over the past couple of years. And I keep encouraging us, though maybe some will say, but it's not encouraging. But I keep reminding us that it's only going to get darker. Darker. As the times approach of His return. But it's okay. The church is not to be weary. 
The church is not to get overwhelmed and scared. No, the church should be burning brighter because the church has resolved. She has made up her mind. She knows whom she belongs to and she knows who she's preparing for. And she's not living as the culture's living, as her flesh is desiring. No, she's living for Christ and Christ alone. And you say, well, that truly cannot be done. Well, then you truly have not fully understood Christ and why He came. It's when you recognize that things are going on, you all. I mean, if you just open your heart and ask the Lord, God, give me eyes to see. This past week, I've seen the most, and I don't even watch that much news anymore. <laughs> but just the little that I catch on different sites, like the world is crazier and crazier. But yet then, there's a move of God happening throughout the earth like the earth has not seen before. And you're not going to see it on your nightly news. <laughs> But oh, go see what God is doing in the earth. God is moving in a way that I don't think in the years I've been walking with Christ that I've ever seen before. There's an awakening taking place. There is a hunger taking place. I mean, I'm standing here with just chills over my body as, I rec as I'm recalling last night's baptism in a bathtub of a young man who was set free from the gay lifestyle. There is a group of Christians who God has delivered out of the lifestyle. They've been in Washington, D.C. over the past few days because the Equality Act can be passed at any moment, which is going to strip Christians, strip ministries, strip churches of the right of preaching and proclaiming the truth of God's Word silencing Christians who have a testimony that God has brought them out of homosexuality or the LGBTQ and all the other letters community. They are free people in Christ. They have a love. They have a hope that is found only in Christ. They have been restored. And as they've been on the streets ministering, this young man came to Christ and he had a desire that moment to be baptized late last night. Amen. And they filled the bathtub. And my heart, and my, I, I can break out in tears now because I can still see him just shaking. And going under that water, I go, oh God, there is a hunger for the things of God. When I see you know, Christ's Forgiveness Ministry. Pastor David has been in California for the past week. And you see the hunger and the thirst of the people in California. The most oppressed state in our United States. But yet there is a hunger. There is a move of people who are hungering for the things of God. And they're marching through these streets of filth. 
reclaiming the ground in which the enemy has had. And they're being mocked at. They're being laughed at. But they are still pressing on. When I think of this group of people I was just talking about in Washington, a very few people compared to the thousands upon thousands upon thousands who would gather in the name of pride. And the Lord, as I was praying for this small group of people, the Lord reminded me, as the Scripture reminds us, the road to life is a narrow road. Because at first I was like, God, I wish there was more people. And God says, I do more with the few than I do with the masses. <laughs> I said, yes, Lord. The gate, the, the, the path to, 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 to sorrow, to destruction is wide. There's so many people going that way. And then as we finished up our Revelation study last Friday or Friday, man, I tell you, the beauty of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the end, if you would, to a new beginning, it's absolutely beautiful. You, you can't read Genesis through Revelation and think somehow this is just a book that man has written. There's no way. Man penned it, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is the Word of God. It is the living Word of God. And it's impacting, and it has impacted, and it will continue to impact people throughout generations until His return. So don't neglect your Bible study. Don't neglect and, and getting in the Word and eating the Word and meditating upon the Word and praying the Word and having fellowship in the Word. It's vital. So as you're led to repentance, not on your own, because remember, you would never wake up one day and go, oh, I should follow Jesus. No, that's not how it works. In and of yourself, you never will turn to Jesus. If you even have a, a desire or even a, a thought of, of Jesus, it's Him giving you the ability and the desire to come to Him. He is faithful. His will is that none shall perish. And yet He knows a multitude of people will perish. Like when you think about the Scriptures that we read, about Satan, about the Antichrist and the false prophet being thrown into hell with the multitudes of people that were led astray. How sad. And for what? Because we demanded our right to have what we wanted here. And that's why I keep telling you, people who aren't turning to Christ, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they are demanding the right to live in eternal destruction. They are feasting off the created that's here today and gone tomorrow. They're demanding their rights for the temporalness of life. And they have every right to live that way. But oh, Christian, 
Do not get lost among them. You are to be the light. You are to be burning brighter. And as I was encouraging Jackie this morning, there is a great assault taking place, not only on this generation, not only on the last generation, but on this new generation that's rising up. The level of perversion, the level of chaos and filth and murder and strife and gossiping and backbiting and all of that is increasing. It's getting darker and darker. But I believe what the enemy has intended for harm, I believe what scripture says that God will turn it around for his good because I believe as it keeps getting darker, it's only going to make the light burn brighter. Lighting the way home for the prodigals. I believe that there is such an awakening taking place in the earth because the warfare has intensified. Deception is like we've never seen it before, and yet it's going to continue to increase. That's why you must resolve. You must decide firmly on the course of action to follow Christ. Make up your mind. And the final, the third R to release. Because once you've repented, once you've made up your mind, you get up and, and you allow the Lord to search your heart. Is there any wicked way within me? What is hindering me, Lord? What am I clinging to that I need to let go of? What is it, Lord, that, keep, that keeps me from your presence? From allowing my roots to grow down deep. Speak, Lord. And give me the strength to cut ties, to walk away, to stand up, upright, in the midst of a crooked and wicked and perverse generation. Give me the understanding, as your word says, that sin is crouching at my door and its desire is to master me, but your word says that I must master it. And in and of my own strength, I can't, but through you, I can. Because I have repented, I understand what it means to repent and, and allow that to be a lifestyle. I understand that I've already resolved, I've already made up my mind. So help me, Father, release. The act, look, look at this, of setting free or letting go. So if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. John 8, 36. To release. To release. And the main thing you need to release is yourself from self. Oh, you got to deal with your flesh, you all. You got to deal with that craziness. That's running them up, up here and in here. Because remember, as you think, so you go. And if you just keep seeing yourself wounded, broken, busted, and disgusted, then that's how you will remain. But when you begin to see Christ for who He is, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God and He has risen from the dead. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us we have been engrafted into his family we have been given the right we've been adopted we've been given the right to call him abba to call him daddy we were whole we're not to allow what was back here 
or what still tries to, to act a, 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 a muck up in here to continue to rule us. No, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. And so ask yourself, how have you been doing this week? Again, we're, we're six months into this year. Are the same patterns, are the same mindsets, are the same strongholds still controlling you? Because they ought not be. Again, I keep saying we can't get to December 31st and still be where we were at January 1st of this year. Like We've gone another whole year and there's no growth. And I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe a year or two or four or five years ago, maybe we could applaud little baby steps. But baby steps aren't going to carry you. Listen, you got to grow. You got to fan that flame within. You got to be burning. You got to have a hunger and desire. God, I need you more and more and more and more. You got to grow. You gotta mature. This is what it's about. It's not about perfection, but it is about maturing because this isn't a game. That's why I keep saying we ought to care more about people's eternity than we do their temporalness. Because if we truly believe that He is the Son of God and that He's risen from the dead, then we understand that those who are not in Christ for eternity, not for an hour, not for a second, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever it's going to be in the lake of fire tormented ripped apart the wrath of god over and over and over and over and there's no way out and you say oh what a horrible God. Why would God do that? And I keep saying to you, do not learn your theology from Satan. Do not learn your theology from a world that is bound by Satan. Know your God. Because if you know your God, you can't blame God. That's their choice. It's their choice. And he loved them enough to turn them over to what they wanted to worship. He did not force them to love him. He turned them over to what they desired. Listen, y'all, it's all about love. I keep telling us that. It's all about love. Because on the flip side of it, for those who are found in Christ, those who come to Christ, those who accept Christ, those who remain in Christ, will be with Christ in this beautiful new Jerusalem. This beautiful heaven that he has created for us. For eternity, no more tears, no more suffering. No more sickness or disease. I mean, come on. This is 
what we were prepared for, what we, we were created for. We were created for eternity with our Creator. We're only here today and gone tomorrow. So I don't understand. Well, I do because I understand. I remember when I was lost, the, the hunger and, and, the, and the passion that I had for the created. Oh, but once you've tasted and seen that He is good, once your eyes have been opened that this is true, you're not going to settle. You go, oh God. And then when your eyes are open and your senses are aware and you begin to see what is taking place, On one side, you see young kids coming to Christ, having a hunger, remaining pure, loving God with their whole heart, with their whole soul, with their mind, with their bodies, honoring God in a wicked and perverse generation. And on the flip side, you see a 14 and 12-year-old having a shootout with police. On one side, you see a young youth serving and ministering laying hands on the sick, praying and believing God for great things. On the other hand, you see a young guy stab a young girl 130 some odd times. You see lust and you see perversion. You see all of this nonsense rising up like we've never seen it before. You call someone the wrong pronoun and all of a sudden you are the crazy one. You're the one that's going to be attacked. You do not know what people are identifying as any longer. They can identify as a, as a blade of grass and their pronoun is green whatever and you call them a sir or a ma'am and they're going to go livid. It's, it's getting crazy. And yet, the masses say, that's right, you're wrong. We've got youth, three-year-olds, and up, maybe even younger, who are being indoctrinated on all this junk that is confusing them. And you think... That that ought to be celebrated? Oh, well, they have, oh no, it is wicked. It is demonic. And everything that we're seeing, the critical race theory, the hatred towards all, all these different groups, just everything that's going on. And do you realize who's behind all of it? It's not the Democrats. <laughs> it's not the Republicans. It's not the whites, it's not the blacks. It's Satan. There's a kingdom of darkness. And he's ruling the land. He knows his time is near. And all of this has to happen. Because it is written. Oh, we better wake up, church. We better wake up. Go. To Matthew chapter 24. I've got some scriptures I want to give us to encourage us. Matthew chapter 24. Oh, how I pray that you've come hungry today, and not just for Gilda's lunch, 
but for the Word of God. Chapter 24, Jesus speaks about the future. These are Jesus' words, you all. And as you're hearing these scriptures, I want you to think upon the three R's, repentance, resolve, and to release. You, you have to put this in action. You, your faith has to be active in your life. Faith without works is dead. Your salvation doesn't come to you by works, so don't get confused. But faith without works is dead. And your faith is active by works because you're saved. And you're saved because of Christ, not by any good works that you can do that you will boast. No, salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. And that you've humbled yourself. You recognize that you are in rebellion towards Him. I am a sinner. And yet, God, you love me. I receive this free gift of salvation. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. Not because it's the knowledge that, that I am myself came up with, no, because you were pleased to reveal yourself to me, yet though I was in complete rebellion towards you. How can I turn from your great love towards me? I don't even deserve it. But you were pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son Jesus. And these are Jesus' words. As Jesus, chapter 24 of Matthew was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return? And look at this, the end of the world. And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Look at that word. Deceive. Again, deception. It is growing at a level like we've never seen it before and it will continue. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this, listen to this, but all of this is only the first of the birth planes and more to come. Then you will be arrested persecuted and killed. You will be hated, oh, oh, look at this, all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Again, deception. Sin, here we go, will run rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one, oh Lord, highlight that, circle this, uh, resolve that this is true about you, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And I've shared this scripture with us multiple times, but I want to put us back, I want it to be put back in front of us because here's the hope in the midst of everything that is being described, the good news is going out throughout the earth. Throughout the earth, you all. All of this brouhaha is carrying on, but the gospel is being carried out. God's purpose, God's plan. That's why you have to be kingdom-minded. If you're not living with a kingdom mindset, you are going to be deceived. You're going to get lost with all this chaos. That's why you must be grounded. That's why you must know that you know that you know Jesus is Lord. And that you're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Oh, there is a battle going on and you ought to be actively participating in warfare every single day. By the time your feet hit that floor in the morning, you were purposed to burn bright for this day. And yet too many of us are still locked up in here. And why? Because our lack of faith, our lack of belief, we're here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, okay, a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of Jesus there, but I don't want to get too much Jesus. <laughs> and you better have all the Jesus you can get. <laughs> and you better cling to him, you better hold tightly to him. Because <laughs> he's the only one that's going to get you through this. And then you wake up with the understanding that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I will live and not die. I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Oh, you ought to be preaching yourself happy instead of, oh, they don't like me. Oh, this, oh, that, oh, that. Just all this nonsense that controls us or leads us or pulls us and we're just giving in to it. (laughs) And we don't even have discipline. And we ought to be. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering, (laughs) self-control. Again, it's not that you ever would reach perfection in it, but that's what's being worked in you. That's what you have. You're not praying from a place of lack. No, you're praying from what you have. So understand what you've been given and living out, not in your own strength. The Bible says that as you walk habitually with the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so all of this craziness is going on. And look, Jesus' words as well. That you're going to be arrested, you're going to be persecuted, and you're going to get killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And that's what I'm saying. The church culture, and and I'm not talking about the church because the bride in and of herself, she's perfect. She's without spot and blemish. She knows who she is. She knows who she belongs to. But the church culture has not prepared us for what's coming. We've been lulled asleep sitting in church. We've been lulled asleep. 
Oh, we better wake up. Jesus himself, they are going to hate you because you follow me. Hate you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to push you out of society. But they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. It's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with him. We don't go searching for trouble. But trouble is searching for us. And if you can't stand now with all of this running amok, controlling you, you're not going to stand when times keep pressing in on the church. But the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the earth. He goes on, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof roof must not go down into a house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter, this is what we were talking about the other day, or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time, look at this, since the world began. And it will never be so great. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and look at this, perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this time ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother going to look. Or look, he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather, oh Jesus, his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now, Now, learn a lesson from a fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from this scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. 
However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is why, I mean, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you, too, must keep watch. For you don't know the day or your Lord is coming. Understand that if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep his watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. You must be ready all the time. Uh, You must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has gone, has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and then begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good God. These are Jesus' words. And yet, I look upon social media, or I have interactions with so-called Christians, And I see what they're promoting. I see the cause that they're fighting for. I see the pride that they're carrying. (laughs) And I go, oh dear God, you're making a mockery of Jesus. And you don't even have the fear of God. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. To be kingdom minded. For you, if you are in Christ, you have been established in his kingdom. You are seated with Christ. There is a way which you are now called to live. And you're going to have to give an account to Christ. I can't get over, and as I'm I'm sharing this, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Can't get over in Revelations, the thousand year reign. <laughs> Jesus is on the earth. The people that he brought back, the martyrs that didn't take the sign of the beast, they're, they're on the earth. They're enjoying this incredible peace on this earth. And they begin to have offspring. They begin to repopulate the earth. And then finally, Satan is released. Now these people have experienced this, just like Adam and Eve, this relationship, this closeness with Christ. 
or do they love him? I mean, for goodness sakes, they're living in complete union with Christ, but do they love him? And we're told that when Satan is released, he deceives the masses. And then they turn to go attack Jerusalem, to attack Christ. And then in an instance, fire comes and the world as we know it is over. And I go, God, help us. Adam and Eve experienced walking with God. However many people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people further off, years to come, walking, fellowshipping, enjoying the presence of God. And yet, as soon as they have an opportunity, they turn against Him. Can that be said about me? Can that be said about you? We can't talk both sides of our mouth. Oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I believe in Jesus and yet not live for him. And somehow think that we're safe. That has been the issue all through scripture. People somehow thinking, okay, I'm right with God. Look, I'm sitting in church. Look, I have a Bible. Look, I say a little prayer here and there. Look, I do and I do and I do. But reality is you aren't. You've been deceived. You like yourself better. You, you like your craziness better. You cling to the temporal more than you cling to Christ. Christ is not your all in all, but yet somehow you say to him, but make me your all in all. And that's not how it works. Oh, we got to wake up. He is a great God, a loving God. And his will is that none shall perish. His desire is that you will love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. His will is that you will humble yourself before him and that you would resist the enemy. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Are you humbling yourself? Are you resisting There's a way in which we are called to live. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. <laughs> they will betray friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, <laughs> but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women 
are forever following new teachings, but they never are, they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have, look at this, a depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. In the last days, the dangers that are not only here, but are to come. And you say, but where's the good news? Jesus, you all. Like you can, It's not that you're going to have you know, you're on clouds floating around singing hallelujah every day. No, your Christian life is an amazing life. It's not a burdensome life. And I keep telling you, if you see your Christian life as a burden, then you don't know Christ. And you say, well, how can you say that? Well, but Christ says it. My yoke is easy. <laughs> and my burden is what? Heavy? No. Yeah. You got to know Christ. You can encourage yourself. You can preach yourself happy. You can get through no matter what's coming against you. You got to learn how to battle. You got to learn to stand. You got to learn to advance and keep advancing. You got to be among fellowship. You got to get grounded in the Word. You got to know truth. You got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. You got to learn to take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of His Lordship. You got to be fruitful in your life. And if you're a Christian, by God, be a Christian. You ought to be the most you ought to be the hard worker in your office. You ought not to be caught up with the gossiping and the slander and the backbiting. You ought not to be running amok in the culture, being tainted and scarred by it. No, you're to be an example of Christ and his redemptive power to transform one from darkness into light. Oh, that we will trust Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read verse 1 through 8, and then verses 22 through 27. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, here's some good news. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. And as you've always heard me say, God's plan, God's purpose is that He will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of God throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. And so now we see here, when the new Jerusalem is coming down, we are informed... Look, God's home is now among His people. 
He will live with them. And look at this. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worship, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Oh, the glory of God, you all. The hope that is found in Christ. He's the conquering king. He's collected those who belong to him. And for those who don't, he turned them over to what they wanted. Themselves. And he's a just God. For eternity, they will experience His wrath. Verses 22 through 27. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And a city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. His gates will never be closed at the end of day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil, nothing evil, circle that, highlight that, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Oh, how I pray it is. And listen, the church culture hasn't done a good job. Well, in fact, it's done a great job for what it's purpose to do, to deceive many. But you better be attentive to who's teaching you theology, the knowledge of God. People are sitting in churches throughout the earth bound by sin, given in to shameful desires. They're sitting in churches and they're liars, they're manipulators, they're backbiters. <laughs> And they point at everyone else, and their crooked fingers should be pointing at themselves. They say, well, at least I don't do this and I don't do that, but you know what sister so-and-so does. 
no evil. We are, we are to be the people of God. And if you have an understanding of a God's gracious love and kindness that draws you to repentance, we better be careful to not get in the way of God and trip up people. That's why they don't get it. Why, why Christians, and when I counsel Christians, and they always say, oh, my church can't find out what I'm going through. My pastor can't know. Because I always say, you, you need to go talk to your pastor. I can't talk to my pastor. Well, if you can't talk to your pastor, who can you then talk to? You should be able to talk to the fellowship that you are among. Because true freedom comes from true transparency. First before God, and then with others. But yet what we've done is we've told people, sit in silence and struggle. Sit in silence and struggle. And that's a very tormenting place to be. People should be coming to church and they should be liberated because they're like, they should walk in and be like, look at all these broken people. And yet they have some type of hope that I don't have. Why am I hiding in shame and condemnation? Why am I allowing my sin to oppress me and hold me down? Look what that person has gone through. Look what this person is going through. Look what God has done in their life. Look what God is doing in their life. Oh, there's hope for me. But do you know how many people come to church? And when they hear the reading of God's word, all they hear is condemnation, judgment, shame. And that's not because of the preacher. It's because of the lies that they're listening to. Because if they really opened up the truth of God's word, the scales would fall off. And they would go, everyone is in the same condition I'm in. We're all prone to rebel against God. There's not one sin greater than the other. We all, have a, we all have been given the right to run to Him, to receive from Him, to be freed from this nature that is in rebellion towards Him. See, there should be a hope and community of believers. And that's why in the early church and throughout church history until Christ returns, that's why we're called to protect the fellowship. You just don't let sin run amok. Because people walk in and go, well, there's nothing different than you all. There's no one, what's different? You carry the shame, guilt, and sin, and all the other stuff that I'm doing. Or look at so-and-so over here thinking they've got it up and down and left and right. <laughs> and yet we see them there and there and there when they're not in church. No, we're to be different. We're different people because we've been born again. And so we have hope to offer. We don't patty cake. with. We don't sugarcoat it. No, we give them the blunt truth. I can't transform someone's life. You can't transform someone's life. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. But we can give them truth and we can love them. I can look at people who are bound to all types of stuff. 
and I can share truth with them. And they can get mad, they can get angry, they can receive it, they can receive Christ. It's up to them. But show truth, show love, show grace, show mercy, show what's been given to you. Share what God is doing in your life. Well, God's not doing anything in my life, then what on earth? Because it's a daily renewal. It's a process of sanctification. We're not perfected until we're with Him. But sin is defeated. And 1 John tells us, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, you see, deliberately sinning, deliberately going and choosing to keep doing what you want to do, live how you want to live, deliberately making choices that you know are contrary to God's truth, and yet you're still choosing it, and you have no remorse, you have nothing, no conviction. Oh, good God. (laughs) Do you hear what the Word says? If you deliberately keep sinning, there's not even hope, the Bible says, and that upsets people. But the Bible says there's not even hope then for you to be to come. Because your heart and your mind are already severed. You can come to church all you want. That's what I said last week, I believe. No matter where you're at, how far you've gone, if you still hear conviction, oh dear God, please don't keep running from him. Turn to him. It is his loving kindness that he is drawing you to himself. Do you understand? Do I understand that? You are not far gone if you still hear conviction, if you still feel the prompting of, oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh, you shouldn't be thinking that. Oh, why are you sitting here? But don't keep silencing him. Don't keep cutting him off. Don't keep... Stiff-arming him. Because in the end, how are you his? How can he call you his? Because you don't love him. You see, when a Christian sins, oh, God, what am I doing? God, I'm sorry. God, I shouldn't have gone there. God, I shouldn't have done that. There's a sincere remorse. It's not like, okay, I'm sorry, God. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. Oops, I'm sorry. No, it's like, oh, God. You humble yourself. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. Matthew 13, verse 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. Matthew 13. These are scriptures to encourage you to persevere. These aren't even our scriptures to walk through, but I've got a short time with you. For those who come, those who watch on a Sunday, in hopes I pray to encourage you, to equip you, to endure through the week, because you are being bombarded every single moment of every single day by the culture, by the world, by Satan, and by your flesh. They're not backing down. They're not giving up. They're out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
And if you have not already disciplined yourself to abide in Christ, to trust in Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, because if you've been born again, you've received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, God himself in you, God in you. And so why are you going places where you ought not to be going with God? Why are you thinking the thoughts that you're thinking? Why are you allowing desires to rule you when God is in you? Why are you uniting yourself with things that you ought not to be uniting God with? Because he does not partake of darkness. He does not partake of it. He has called you his own. He has sealed you. That's the understanding when you receive the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed unto the day of redemption. You can have the fullness of secure understanding that you are saved. But do not grieve the Holy Spirit, you all. That's what the Bible says. Don't live lives that grieve him. And you're just trampling on the blood of Christ as if it's nothing. And somehow, some way, you're okay with it. Oh, you may cry a little at night. <laughs> or maybe feel a little like, oh God, look at me. But nothing changes. And when there's nothing changing, oh God, something is wrong. We're going to find out what it is. We've read through this before. Oh, but let's read it again. It's Jesus' words. Um, let's actually pick up in verse 3 of chapter 13 of Matthew. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Jesus' words. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile, fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Go to verse 18. <clears throat> now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky ground, on the rocky soil, represents those who hear the message and, oh God, and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as, look at this, they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on 
Good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and look at this and produce the harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much has been planted. Oh, the soil of your heart. You know which one describes where you're at. And oh, how I pray that you and I will allow the Lord to have full access to our lives. Lord, I want to be fertile soil. I want to be good soil. I want to receive. I don't want it snatched out. I don't want it choked out. I don't want to fall away, God. Teach me. I want to love you, God, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my body, with all of my strength. God, I just want to love you. God, I know in and of myself I wouldn't. But God, I'm here. Do you talk to God this way? It should be a daily conversation. In love myself, God. And that's why when you slip up, when you fall, when you sin, you, you don't beat yourself. That's why I keep telling you all, don't play the shame, weird game that we do. Oh, I'm such a bad Christian. Of course you would be. Because you're doing it yourself. When you slip up, when you fall, when you sin, repent. A, a sincere remorse. That's not that you give yourself, that, that you feel the conviction. And you go, oh God, yes. You're right. And I thank you for your great salvation. I thank you that I can get up. And that doesn't have to define me. I thank you for the freedom that is found in Christ. I thank you that you have prepared me to move forward, that you make every crooked path straight, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And if you're not living, then why on God's earth do you consider yourself among his people? Somehow you fooled yourself that you're going into heaven. And then the reality is he's going to look at you and say, I don't know you. You worker of sin. You kept going your way. And all I ask is that you would love me. I drew you to myself. I revealed myself to you time and time and time and time again. And yet you kept rejecting me. Listen, you know the soil of your heart. And if you, your heart is not good soil then get right with God, you all. Don't beat yourself up. Like he, yet again, he's giving you the understanding of his word, of his truth, of his great love for you. You need to respond to him. Don't keep stiff-arming him. Go to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and chapter 9. Oh, how I love Samuel. <laughs> In the book of Samuel. Walking through the scriptures. In hopes that you would know your God. We left off with, with Israel with true repentance. They were in a place. They were tearing down the idols. They were turning to God. As Samuel grew old, 
He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah. His oldest sons held court in Beersheba. Oh, but look at this. Verse 3, But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations here. I want you to highlight that. If you're taking notes, circle it in your Bible, highlight it on your phone, whatever. Look at what they're requesting here. In a way, the request was right, but yet in the end, you see their motive behind it was wrong. And you say, what do you mean? They recognize that Samuel's old, he's going to be dying soon. <laughs> and he's leaving us with these two sons who are not just, who are not fair, who are corrupt. And so it goes to show you, the children are held responsible for their actions. Samuel was a God-fearing man. He honored God. God raised him up. But his sons had no influence. They, they didn't let his life influence them at all. They were led astray by the lure of wealth. By the title and the positions in which they held. Instead of remaining in God, trusting God, serving God faithfully. It was their choice. But these elders, they knew, like, oh, wait a minute. And look at their request. Give us a king to judge us. Look at that. Like all the other nations have. We want to be like the other nations. Now understand this. I believe it's in Deuteronomy that God himself spoke. And he did mention there is coming a day that he will give Israel a king. God is faithful to what he has. But we're not faithful in waiting upon God. And they should have came and said, Samuel, ask God to give us this king that he has promised us. That's not what they did. They're like, hey, you're getting old. Your sons are twisted. Now give us a king to judge us. Like all the other nations. We want to be like all the other nations. That's been their problem. They kept looking at the culture. They kept looking at everything around them. They were like, we want to be like them. Why can't we have what they have? Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied. For they are rejecting me. God was their king. They're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they're giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And yet again, we, he, we see God turning people over to what they want. Here. In Romans 1, we see the same thing. He, he turns them over. That's what you want? Or you're going to experience the fullness 
of what you're requesting. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. Listen to what, listen to what these people heard. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and the olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand that your finest, that the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When the day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But the Lord will not help you. But the people, oh God, highlight that, circle that. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be, here we go again, like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say. Give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. There was a wealthy, chapter 9, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abel, son of Zeor, son of Barak, and son of Ahabah, and of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. One day, Kish's donkey strayed away, and he told Saul, Take a servant with you, and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, uh, yeah, the land of that city, that place, in Shalem area, the entire land of Benjamin, but they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zerth, and Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. But the servant said, I just thought of something. There's a man of God who lives here in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he could tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone, and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, Let's go and ask the seer, for the prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lived. Now understand this. This isn't by chance. The donkeys didn't wander off by chance. God ordains our steps. God knows everything that's affecting us, around us, and what's ahead of us. Oh, that we would trust in God. As they were climbing the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servant asked, Is the seer here today? 
Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is at the town gates. He has just arrived to take part in public sacrifice up in the and up at the place of worship. Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town, and as they passed through the gates, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy, and I've heard their cry. Oh Lord, highlight that, circle that, even in the midst of the rebellion, even in their midst of their rejection, God still responds to their cries, you all. Whew, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together. In the morning I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys. Hmm. They were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hope. Saul replied, but, am I, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? And again, we can find encouragement and hope that God takes that which looks foolish to the world and raises it up and for His purpose and for His glory. Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and placed them at the head of the table, honoring them above the 30 special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut of meat and piece, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought in the meat and placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it, Samuel said. I was saving it for you even before I invited these others. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the place of worship and returned to town, Samuel took Saul up to the roof of the house and prepared a bed for him there. At daybreak the next morning, Samuel called Saul. Get up! It's time you were on your way. So Saul got ready, and he and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of the town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant on ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, Stay here, for I have received a special message for you from God. Go to Matthew. No, John. Ha -ha. John chapter 6, verse 22 through 42. God is raising up King Saul. And we're going to begin to, to see how God works through this king that the people requested. But let's look at chapter 6 of John, verse 22 through 42. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. 
So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you noticed the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. <laughs> spend your energy, oh, I like this, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. They replied, we want to perform good God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, <coughs> our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you, oh look at this, the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, Sure, I'm where I need to go. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me, look at this, will come to me. And I will never reject them. Oh, circle that, highlight that for some comfort and hope. This week, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God. And this is the will of God. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and Believe in him, should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur <laughs> in disagreement because he said, He had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, look at this, draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the Scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God, has seen him. And I love this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. And oh, how I pray that you all... Well, I went to, I went to 48. I was supposed to stop at 42, but that's all right. 
I am the bread of life, he says. Jesus is giving out this, this, again, truth. And yet you see the hearts of people. They're so demanding. They're so consuming because they're only thinking of themselves. They're thinking of their temporal need for substance and not their eternal need. Go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. We're coming to an end. Psalms 106, verse 32 through 48. At Meribah, too, they angered the Lord, talking about Israel again, causing Moses serious trouble. They made Moses angry, so he spoke foolishly. Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord had commanded them. Instead, O oh God, they mingled among the pagans and adopted their evil customs. Again, their desire is to be like the others. How about you? Are you standing for Christ? Are you living for Christ? Are you just demanding your rights to be among the culture? They worshipped their idols, which led to their downfall. They even sacrificed, oh my goodness, their sons and their daughters to the demons. Think of this, these are God's people. They were so enthralled with the culture around them that they willingly sacrificed their children to these other gods. By sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan, they pulled, I mean, they pulled, they, they polluted the land with murder. They defiled themselves by their evil deeds, and their love of idols was adultery in the Lord's sight. That is why the Lord's anger burned against his people, and he abhorred his own special possession. He handed them over to pagan nations, and they were ruled by those who hated them. Their enemies crushed them and brought them under their cruel power. Again and again, he rescued them. Underline that. Look at that. Again and again, he rescued them. So before we point our finger at God, or before we allow others to say, how can you worship a God like that? He's a horrible God. No, no. Would you know your God? Would you just know your God? Again and again, he rescued them. But they chose, there you go, to rebel against him. And they were finally destroyed by their sin. Even so, he pitied them in their distress. Oh, look at this, you all. And he listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them, and he relented because of his unfailing love. He even caused their captors to treat them with kindness. Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us back from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Let the people say amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, if you don't get anything but this... <laughs> Understand the Lord's compassion. He's tender-hearted. He's slow to anger. His love endures forever. He is willingly 
and constantly revealing himself to his creation. They are the ones. We are the ones that's rejecting him. Go to Proverbs 14, verse 34 and 35. Two nuggets of wisdom to leave you with today. Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. A king rejoices in wise servants, but is angry with those who disgrace him. Oh, how I pray you all would be encouraged, and that I would be encouraged that the living God, the true God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke, everything was formed, the great I am, is yet again revealing himself to us. How are you responding? I'm going to play this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.
Every time.